Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. So today's episode, if you are thinking about selling anything in e-com, if you're not listening to this episode, you're doing yourself a huge, huge, huge disservice. We're going to be talking about um, Amazon FBA. We're going to be talking about Walmart's um, variation of that. We're going to be talking about automations and systems behind the scenes, um, investments, and, and how to kind of really make passive income. This is the episode that you do not want to miss. So, you know, every time I get someone of this caliber, I like to give them a particular nickname, and I was going to name him the Willie Badass of, of Ecom, and I was like, okay, let me actually give him a more legit name. So his name today is going to be the Ecom Investment Boss. Will, the floor is yours. Why don't you tell all these a little bit more about who you are and what we're talking about today? Wow, I'm, I'm loving that name. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah, I uh, currently right now, I know just off air, I was just telling you, I'm actually in the moment, I'm in, I'm in Italy. Mm-hmm. So that's why the lighting's a little weird here. It's getting, the sun's, sun just set. Um, about 20 minutes ago, but yeah, happy to be here. I, you know, every summer I come out here and I, you know, I'm running right now. I'm a co-founder of a company that started a few years ago. I've been in this industry for, I'd say, you know, micro entrepreneurially about five to seven years. Um, but, you know, I started the tech industry and, and my business partner and I, a couple of years ago, you know, like you just mentioned before automation, we noticed that there were companies out there that were pretty much doing Amazon businesses for investors who didn't have time, but we also noticed that almost every single company we came across was ineffectively doing this business model. So, you know, light bulb just switched on our end, given our experience, and we said, "Hey, you know, we already are really ingrained in this industry. We know the ins and outs. We know what's actually wrong about a lot of these companies that are operating out there." And so, let's fill the gaps. You know, let's refine this process. Let's legitimize automation. Oh. Um, and we decided to do that two and a half years ago. To Two years and eight months now, um, and now cut two. We are, you know, almost 500 clients. We've got two warehouse facilities that are exclusive in Dallas, Texas. We have an office in Los Angeles. Focuses on transparency, sustainability, and and really, you know, taking you know the idea of e-commerce and and looking at it as a true digital asset, given the fact that you know it's only about 16% of the retail market right now, and I think Nasdaq uh, predicted that by 2040 it's going to be 95%. So we have a massive market that's emerging on all fronts, and it's not too late to be a part of it. So it's essentially what we do. You know, investors who don't have time, they want to get involved, and they pay us. We leverage our infrastructure on behalf of them, and we run and operate an entire e-commerce business for them on a third-party platform and, and make that profitable and turn it into an appreciating asset. Very cool. Very cool. So let's just peel back some of the layers of that, right? I mean, obviously, yeah. earlier on, I was talking about FBA. I was talking about um, Walmart, um, WFS. And so yeah. I want people to kind of really understand, like, when you're talking about automation, it's not like the standard automation to where you plug some stuff in and things get executed for you. I mean, you're taking it even a step further back. You guys are actually selecting products and then di- doing the distribution for the products as well. So let's talk about, like, like your assembly line. Like, how does that work for someone that doesn't know anything coming into that market sector brand new. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you say FBA, you know, just this is something that most people will be familiar with. So we'll look at FBA, 
which is essentially Amazon Prime products. So when someone shops online and they buy an Amazon Prime product, that product is not necessarily owned by Amazon. I mean, they might own 20 to 30% of those ones, like Amazon Basics, et cetera, or might be coming from their, their warehouse, uh, you know, our brand name wholesale product. But essentially, it does mean they're coming from their warehouse, but most of the time, about 60% of the time, it's from third-party sellers. And so what we run for our clients, specifically on Amazon, we do this on Walmart as well, and I can dive into that a little bit later. You know, what we do is we, we do a hybrid model. We primarily focus on FBA, which is that fulfilled by Amazon, where we are sourcing, we're actually a wholesale distributor too. So we have exclusive relationships with wholesalers and manufacturers throughout the US and overseas as well, which is sort of in a more advanced program. But for people who initially invest with us, they're investing the capital pretty much to leverage our infrastructure and we have the entire team to handle it for them. And so we make sure there's not a ceiling in terms of scalability. And that's why people pay us because we actually have our own supply chain and our internal resources. So we source products, we do data, it's all data-driven. So we're looking at competitor, competitor inventory levels, what's trending, what, what prices can we get products at based on what we're sourcing them at with the client's capital. We then source that in either bulk or depending on if you're a newer client and depending on what your financial background is and what you have for working capital, which is the money to spend on products, we can do lower MOQs, which is minimum order quantity from wholesalers in the beginning to get your store running. We source that product, we then send it to our warehouse first because you can't send it directly to an Amazon's warehouse. And what makes us very unique as a company is we're not using a third-party logistics warehouse, which a lot of these other automation providers will do that. And third-party logistics is essentially another warehouse that has you know, 100 other companies sending their products there. So there's zero prioritization. We have, an, we have two Ascend warehouses. So those products get sent directly to our Ascend warehouse with our software, we check those in, we do a, a FIFO system. So first in, first out, these products come in, we then put them down to our assembly line, break them down, put them in a poly poly bag, repackage them. And then UPS comes to our warehouse twice a day, hundreds of packages a day they take. They send it 10 minutes down the road to Amazon Logistics Center. Amazon then, based on their algorithm, will send it to an Amazon Prime warehouse somewhere around the United States, depending on where that is. We're located in Dallas because it's central but based on what the product is, et cetera. And then it's listed and activated on that client store. Customer then buys it at a margin. Then Amazon pays out the client bi-weekly. Um, so we're pretty much handling that internal supply chain. Automation, including, you know, the use of our manual team, you know? And so that's why I'm happy you brought this up because, excuse me, it's just because the, the, the word automation can be thrown around. That's like the, you know, the, the buzzword you know, and it can be tossed around in so many different ways. At the end of the day, we are really just managing the process and the commonality that all of our clients have is no one has time to do this themselves and they don't have the infrastructure. They want to be involved in this trillion dollar industry, but in order to be competitive in this industry, you can't be selling out of your garage and you can't be packaging your own products yourself because there's just no scalability there. Mm -hmm. You need a team, you need a facility, you need data, you need software, you need experience. And that's how you can accelerate into the ecosystem on Amazon and Walmart as well and, and be a competitor in, in, you know, in under a year. Wow. wow. I, I want the listeners to really listen to what, he, what he's saying. I mean, obviously, everyone has heard about 
Amazon fulfillment or if they wanted to start up an Amazon store. And we're not talking about like affiliate marketing. We're talking about potentially doing sourcing, which is essentially you're going out and you're finding a product from a manufacturer and then you're then saying you're going to redistribute that through Amazon or you're going to get a new product, white label it, put your brand on it. And, but for, for the thing that's really golden about what you guys do, you take away all the difficulties, right? So, I mean, some of the, that's, that's like the pros and cons of starting up Amazon is like, product selection is like the hardest thing to ever do but you guys take that away from your data so i want you to kind of talk about that a little bit i think you had given an example on another podcast where you were saying that you i think it was like a, a kitchen utensil or something yeah. those lines. Yeah. and he was like you know we, we got it for like a hundred like a, like a like a buck 25 and you'd be able to sell it for like 600 percent return but like how how does that work how do you do something like yeah. that? yeah so there are there's there's a few different models here you know our, our initial focus you know, depending on how you invest with us, you know, this is, I look at this, this investment, like a lot like real estate, you know, so you could sort of, and I, I don't want to digress a little bit here, but I, I'll, I'll lead into your answer. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like, say you bought a piece of, uh, you bought a property and you're running it out on Airbnb, right? And that property is like a two bedroom, two bath, et cetera. You're running it out for two, 300 a night and you want to rent it out for more. So what do you do? You maybe redo the kitchen floors, you redo the bathroom, you add a hot tub in the back then you can double the rates, whatever it may be. These businesses are sort of similar to that. You can have a base program, which we, which we essentially build everyone's program surrounding wholesaling. And wholesaling is products that are already brand name, that are already brand name in the US, and we're buying them in bulk and we're getting them from exclusive wholesalers, which exclusivity is a thing. Not everyone can just buy from any wholesaler and then just resell. And then we're selling them at a margin based on how we can get them by volume discounts, et cetera. Then there's private labeling, which you just mentioned before about actually making your own brand. This is when we source from overseas. And so an example like that, so when someone adds private label, and this is also what appreciates the value of your store, like I mentioned before, this is like adding that hot tub to your real estate investment. We build a business around wholesaling, but in order, you know, every business that we build, we're not just talking about the passive income side. We want to make sure that this business is set up to appreciate in value over time and to be really sellable if a client ever wants to exit. And in order to do that, you need to have mitigated risk across the actual, um, how you're sourcing products and across your fulfillment and how you're actually doing the business, which is essentially why we do hybrids. So we touch on mm-hmm. a little bit of everything and having private label is a huge factor because the margins can be super high and it also brands your, your business out. And that goes back to that sort of yeah, I forgot that exact exact example, but when we're sourcing from overseas, what we're doing is we're pulling the data on what products are online right now that are either trending, have low competitors. There's a lot of different factors. I don't have my product research director here right now, and they probably can peel back the real deep, deep layers of it. But at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're sourcing it at a low, low cost per unit, You know, and this could be any kind of product. So it really just depends what it is. And we're getting it shipped overseas and inclusive of all those extra fees and everything. We're slapping your brand on that product, which adds value to your business overall. And then we're selling it at a margin that's upwards of 70 to 80%. So when they're not a wholesale product that's already branded, it's your own brand. We're actually negotiating with manufacturers and we're getting that manufactured at an extremely low price, which pushes margins way higher. And wholesaling, your margins are like 15 to 30%. But private label, they can be very, very high. And that's something that really can accelerate your business into that appreciation, you know, you know, side of things where you're really you have a business that's flowing with cash flow, but it's also branded. 
and it's gaining value over time. And if you ever want to sell it, you're selling a brand, so it's proprietary. And that has a lot of impact. Wow, wow. So, I mean, I think earlier on, you, you alluded to being in Italy. So I, I'm going I'm to let the lis- listeners into a, a little secret. Like, he was being nonchalant and, and being, oh, I'm just in Italy. But I, <laughs> I want to I time travel back to your senior year in high school when this man decided to skip his prom to go back <laughs> in Central America. Now, obviously, that kind of tells what kind of business person you were at a young age. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I you know, I've always... For me, I grew up in a small town in, in upstate New York, about a few hours north of New York City in the Catskills. Um, and yeah, across the U.S., I mean, across the state, prom is a huge thing, right? But traveling has been a huge thing for me, which is a big part of who I am. It's therapeutic. You know, I, I do this every year, and it's it's not like I'm not working when I'm out here. I'm working, I'm busting my ass, but I do better work when I have this kind of release. And I also am better in terms of business mm. when I'm out here as well. And going back to that time and those decisions, you know, you know, that was a big decision to do that, but I'll never regret it. And what that did is it set a tone for me on how I approach things in business in general and how I work with people. It made me a better listener in business because a huge thing that people have and a huge issue that people have in business is they always are waiting for what they're going to say next and they never actually listen to the person in front of them. And it's a huge thing when you're traveling in different cultures because you really have to listen because not everyone's speaking the same language. So it taught me at a young age to naturally organically be a good listener. And that's helped me with interpersonal skills. And it's driven a lot of my success so far um, throughout the, I mean, I'm a lot older now, you know, I'm in my thirties now, but at the end of the day, that, that is a big mindset that I've had and I still have and bring that to this, you know, even where we are right now, it's funny you brought that up because every year, like I said, I keep doing this and I'm still learning even when I'm going yeah, I'm in Italy right now, but it's not always a glamorous place like Italy. I mean, I travel all over the world and every single time I go away and when you travel, you put yourself in uncomfortable situations mm-hmm. and uncomfortability and the, the being in these situations only breeds you to be stronger, sharper, smarter, and you can, it's applicable in the real world and applicable in business. So I don't want to, you know, I could do a whole podcast on on the, <laughs> the benefits of, of experiencing new cultures, whether it's in the United States or abroad, but yeah, that's a little hint. <laughs> so if, if I can guess, right. I mean, obviously I've done my due diligence and, and I looked at some of your profiles. I would say if there's one particular location that I would say that you liked it, and I'm going to put myself out on the limb, correct me if I'm wrong. I would say Greece. <laughs> yeah. You did your research. Yeah. I, I, you know, my, my mother used to the seventies, fortunately my father, mm. she was with a Greek guy and she lived on the Greek islands mm. um, in the seventies for about six months. I don't know if there's something in my blood about Greece or whatever, but I went there the first time in 2014 and there's just something about, you know, every time I'm back in Europe, I go and I see a different island and each island has a slightly different culture, depending on what part of the sea you're in. And the food is fresh. The people are beautiful, beautifully nice, sweet. The air is clean. I just get have really good energy when I'm there. And yeah, that that is, in terms of Europe, that is my number one, I'd say. I mean, I can, people... I was asked what's your favorite country i mean shit i don't really just say grace I, it's it's hard it's like what's your favorite movie it's very difficult for me to answer those kind of questions because also you know based on your experience there's places i've gone and i really enjoyed it the first time and you know life brought me back there a second time and that second experience i fell in love with the country that tends to happen and you know i got more wiser as i got older with traveling i used to want to okay if i'm going to this part of the world let me see if i can get as many countries as possible in once which 
yeah, when you're young, you feel like, you know, you don't have that much time, but the older and wiser you get, you realize, no, really enjoy where you are and really embrace and don't rush to the next one. Don't keep thinking about the future. Think about the now and embrace the now. And that's where you really get the most out of traveling. Wow. So, I mean, I want to, I want to embrace that. I mean, obviously like, you know, we're kind of painting the picture of of who you are and and telling your story. So if you can define yourself just by using three to five words, what would those three to five words be? Define myself. Um, I'd say I'm spontaneous. uh, Spontaneous and genuine. Um, Definitely driven. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a loving guy. So I, you know, I'm, I'm positive. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that really, that sums it all up. You know, I'm familial. So communal, I'd like to say, you know, I, I like to make friends with people that, you know, I think, I think a lot of generally also what's tell me travel is, is or what I learned from traveling is just really, you know, not everyone's just a stranger, <laughs> you know, we humans, we tend to be so cold, you know, just regularly. And when you're traveling and you don't know where the hell you are, you know, you, you, you talk to strangers more mm-hmm. and that's something that I just become more of who I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I'm in the States, you know, I'm, I'm less reserved from traveling and it's, 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 you know, I, I like also bringing different people together too. So yeah, that's also a bit tie that back to the company. People ask why we do what we do. Okay. Well, I can talk about the technical reasons of Amazon and multiple stores and the financial aspects and bringing value financially and, all that but the long-term vision of of who we are as a company is we're also building a community of like-minded investors with all different backgrounds right out of college teachers retirees war veterans lawyers doctor i mean you name it we have so many different backgrounds Mm -hmm. um couples that are investing together for the first time vc firms groups of 10 I mean, it's, it's all over the board. And to me, that is awesome because I might be speaking way too far down the line, but you know, eventually I like the idea of, of of connecting this group because they all have different backgrounds and maybe doing something that we can do to leverage that. Um, but yeah, that's, 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 that's further down the line, but that's how I like to look at, at, at why we do it too as well. It's really connecting investors from all different backgrounds and democratizing essentially this kind of investment program. Well, I think, I think you're, you know, I grew up in New York as well too. So, I mean, you're talking about diversification at scale and that, that's what New York really represents. And if the, I think you grew up with that in, in your heart. So like my next question is being that that's who you are. You're saying you're a very positive person. Everyone that's in business, there's always some negative feedback at some time or the other. So for you, yeah. like, I want you to, without naming names, talk about like, like a, a worst case scenario that has happened. Maybe somebody came in and they had a frame of mind of a particular product that they wanted, but your team was saying like that product's not going to sell but they're saying that they want to sell that product how did you overcome that yeah yeah i mean it's i i you know the larger our company gets the less front line with clients i'm I'm able i don't have as much bandwidth Mm -hmm. but believe it or not i was actually just on a call right before this with a client that just started and unfortunately you know you can't control how expeditions are set how every salesperson will explain certain things and and just what the personality is and what this this client's potential background is. They I think they invested something in the past, had a very bad experience. So very, very, very fragile, I'd say. Um, and so that 
that sort of bad taste in their mouth from previous experiences, not necessarily in e-commerce, they definitely brought that into their first couple of weeks with us. And, you know, in terms of what they expected and wanted, even though we lay it all out once they come on board, they freaked out and were going all over the place asking for this is not this and that's not this. And our team could not even handle it. So I decided, and sometimes I, you know, I get involved and, and at the end of the day, you know, it, it's not easy, but you have to, I think not saying that my team, my customer service team isn't great because they're amazing and they're rock stars and we do a great job communicating to our clients. Um, but, you know, I will say that, you know, when, when things would get to a certain level, because we're not a perfect company, but we do make things right. When things happen, we face them head on with integrity and we push forward through them, right? Hmm. He came onto the call wanting a refund, got off the call, excited for the next 90 days. The reason why is because I listened to everything he had to say. I admitted where he might've interpreted things a certain way and where we could do better as a company. And then I talked about what we're gonna be doing moving forward and how we're gonna progress in a positive manner. And I promised him another call in four weeks on my side. It's very hard because I don't really have the time for that. But at the end of the day, I, I could sort of see where he was coming from based on his previous experiences. And I think he just really wants someone to listen to. <laughs> and and for someone to understand that specifically. Um, and yeah, that might be a really vague way of answering your question, but it's just, it's really relevant just because it was the call I had right before this. Um, and it was a situation like that. It ended up very positive, but it started very rough. So. Well, I think it's very cool, right? I mean, it goes back to you being a seasoned vet in, in, in this industry, right? So I, I want to talk about like like partnerships, because again, there is a solopreneur that grows into becoming a, like a larger entrepreneur that owns a business, you know, but then you, you're you partnered with Jeremy. So I want to kind of talk about like, like what, what's the personality traits like? I mean, obviously, you're more of a positive, world traveling kind of laid back guy. Is Jeremy exactly the same or is he a polar opposite of you? Yeah, yeah we, you know, we're, we have a lot in common. Um, but you know, he runs, obviously we, we both wear a thousand hats, but if you want to sort of like generalize it, Jeremy does operations, right? I'm on our partnerships, marketing, sales, PR strategy, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough question. You know, we, we definitely have different personalities. I mean, he's, I, I think he, you know, but we, we, the synergy is there and I don't know exactly how to explain why it works so well, mm -hmm. but when something needs to be done on one side, one of us always steps in and and comes in when we need it, based on how our mindsets work. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to say that Jeremy's analytical and I'm, you know, sort of laissez-faire, fuck it kind of thing, because I'm not. Sorry for my French. You know, I have I have a very kind of balanced approach, and, and Jeremy does too. Mm -hmm. But when one is lacking the other. And when we're actually working, because we're not always together in the same office, but when we are, is when we actually begin to innovate and we come up with great ideas. And it really does work. He's very, very, I'm good at working with, dealing with actual, a lot of our clients and our relationships on the partnership side, not just clients, but strategic initiatives. And yeah, dealing on the front lines, a lot of stuff. But he's very, very, very good internally with our internal management and working with them and and helping them improve upon what's going on and and bringing out developing new initiatives inside on a lot of stuff and and I, I don't even know how else to say it besides the fact that it honestly it's worked out so well between us there is honestly nothing but synergy and that's where our company is where it is right now 
and it's balanced like crazy. And that doesn't even give you a full answer on what it is. It's just, it's really hard to explain. <laughs> if you saw us, if you saw us in, in the office in LA, you know, from, you know, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. because we work crazy hours and we're back there together. And you, and you picked up the highlights of that day. You'd be like, holy shit. Like, these guys, like, they are different, but they're also very similar in a lot of ways. But that similarity isn't turning into a bubble where it's going to burst and it's a facade. You know, it, it, the complementing works so well. So Very cool. So it's not that you guys got the yin and yang. You guys got the balance. One is exactly. the light and it's always equilibrium. So, I mean, I mean that's, that's what partnerships are really about, right? So, yeah. I mean, yeah. with that, I mean, obviously you're talking about this new business venture you've been on for a period of time, but you're not new to this industry. You've been in marketing, you've been in e-com for some period of time. How long have you been on your journey to get to where you are currently? Yeah. So I, you know, I'd say, so I graduated university in 2011. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked first job in healthcare and I initially wanted to be in the clinical field for a while. And then when I don't need to get the full story on that, but essentially I, I just found my, my passion in sort of health technology um, early on, but throughout this whole period of like working for small startups and building out, you know, once I started to get to the startup scene and sort of work around, I was even, even the corporate company that I worked for in the beginning, I was working for a startup within that corporate company. So I've really almost always been in startup culture. Um, and what was intriguing about that is wearing those thousand hats, right? Knowing that, yeah, this might be your role, but you also are going to be able to dip your toes in a bunch of other stuff just because we're growing so rapidly and we're trying to figure things out and there's stuff coming out of left field and all of that. And that always excited me. Also bringing on new products that are innovating and, and disrupting the healthcare world, right? But throughout that period of time, about eight to 10 years, 10 years in, in healthcare, always on the side, I'd say more prominently once I was making a little, little bit of decent money, you know, in my mid-20s, was looking at the opportunities of being an entrepreneur and investing in things that you know, maybe I can start something here and there. Maybe it's a watch brand or maybe, you know, involving myself in the digital space, um, playing around with stocks and that kind of stuff and opening up my first Amazon store and failing miserably at that. And, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff like that, but really knowing the industry, you know, getting a feel for the industry, you know, Jeremy and I getting involved in the supplement industry on Amazon, having a lot of success on that side. And, you know, at the end of the day, there is, there is involvement in the e-commerce world, I'd say since 2004. 15, 16, to some extent, um, but to the degree of, you know, and that's chipping away at some knowledge on it, seeing some friends be successful and other things in Amazon and really just like slowly educating myself on that, you know, and, and we got to the point, you know, I started a digital marketing agency too, which we sort of sizzled out purposely once, he, once uh, Ascend started doing so well, but it was really also us investing in, I wouldn't even call them a competitor right now. But at that time, you could look at them as an automation company, right? And Jeremy and I were invested in one of them. And we were just like, this is a disaster. Like, I know we're not the only ones that are experiencing this. Like, this is such a great model. But why the hell can't they do this, this, and this? Why can't they just have good communication channels? Why can't they literally have ethics? <laughs> why can't they literally have some kind of solidified infrastructure, some kind of transparency? These things that companies should just have. And automation has been around for a few years at that point. It's just like, no one's doing it. They're just getting away with doing a subpar offering of something that looks good on the surface, but not, not producing. Mm. And that's, again, I said in the beginning of this, of this podcast, and that's, that's how it all started. I was actually living in 
Mexico at the time. So <laughs> I was down there for a little bit, and I remember being on the on the balcony on the phone call with Jeremy, like, "Hey, like this is we could do that. We could do this so much better. We need to legitimize this industry. Let's give it a shot." And boom, two and a half years later. But yeah. So I mean, I think that's a hell of a journey. I mean, and, and I think you brought up like the medical part. So let's let's talk about like your other venture as well. Like 1980 yeah. is like a fintech, right? So and obviously you're you're yeah. all 100 into like startups and you're into like becoming a founder. How does how does that corporation play into what you're doing right now? Yeah. So 1982 is they invest in essentially Southeast or, uh, Southeast Asia fintech startups. So fintech in Southeast Asia is about a decade behind west right but it has a massive future um so i don't have a lot of involvement in that i'm just invested um in terms of but it's 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 great it's it's an awesome opportunity because the founders of that company you know that that vc firm like they they live in singapore and they've got some awesome stuff and it's just really cool to learn about what's emerging in that part of the world mm -hmm. and how they're doing how they've learned from sort of the mistakes that have happened <laughs> in the fintech world and how it's sludged around in terms of technology like fintech in the us is not same with health tech you know it hasn't it should be way more advanced than it is based on a lot of different things i mean it's obviously there now at this point anyway going to sort of the next subject on that i mean you know yeah healthcare in general the startups that i work for on that side you know i i felt really in love with the idea of once i saw a broken healthcare system I was working for davida which is a dialysis company, and we can get into the food system and a lot of stuff that I have passion with in terms of how twisted things are, um, not just in the U.S., but in the Western world, but really in the U.S. a lot with the food system and how that ties into the healthcare system. You know, it made me so intrigued by finding companies that were doing things that were pushing, you know, like that's the last company I worked for was in mental health. Mental health has been on the back burner for so long. And that's why I was intrigued starting with them. I was like, okay, this... The founder there, he saw an issue that should have been addressed decades ago. Mm -hmm. Decades ago. It's not like he was inventing something that was so crazy technology-wise. He was taking something that was simple, that was clinically proven in mental health, and making it digital, hmm. which should have been done a long time ago. You know what I mean? Something as simple as that, right? And so that's what that's why I have that love in the healthcare world. And in terms of investing on 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 side things, I mean. Now that we have the topic up, I my sister worked for the World Health Organization. She lived in Pakistan for a while, and one of her um, uh, previous colleagues and good friends doesn't work for WHO anymore, but she's um, she's a physician and still lives in Karachi, Pakistan. And she is well aware of the water issues out in the Middle East. And I invested in in her company, um, which I'm extremely excited about. I mean, you have like Nestle and and Pepsi that are dominating the water. You know the the consumer consumer water system that it's it's gross because they're upcharging the hell out of it and it's poor quality water and people don't realize how important quality of water really is and you know she's developing a program that can incorporate not only women working mm -hmm. in the region but also develop entrepreneurs and then also provide water a lot higher quality water at a low, way lower cost than these massive corporations are doing that are taking advantage of of the Middle East and frankly around the world where water is an issue. Um, so that's an exciting project. I mean, I got my hands on a bunch of random stuff, honestly, yeah. all over the place, but it's, I like alternative investing mm -hmm. and people call it risky. It is, yeah, they are risky investments, but I believe in what I'm investing in a lot, mm -hmm. not just about, oh, this is the ROI. 
I mean, obviously I have financial literacy on some stuff. I'm not doing stuff blindly, but it feels really good to invest in projects that not only you know that there might be some good return on it, but really you're, you're, if you lose, it's not really that big of a deal because <laughs> it's something that you care about and you know you're doing it for the right reasons. And, and fortunately, I can say I have you know the ability to do that, obviously. I'm not, this is a disclaimer here. I'm not telling you I'm going to go toss their hard-earned money into a random alternative investment. You know, I'm at the point now where I comfortably can do so. Mm-hmm. Previously, I, I, you know, I'd be a little more conservative in that sense, but it, you know, that's that's how I feel these days, and that's how I'm sort of still sort of ingrained in me. Is my point right. is that kind of stuff. I'm always looking for stuff that's happening around the world. It's not just and you, and also U.S. soil, but mm-hmm. things that people look past. There are investments that help people. It's mm-hmm. not just about the financial sector, you know. So. Yeah. So, I mean, since this is more on, on, on that train wagon, as far as like investments, I mean, you, you're a big real estate investor investor as well, too, on short-term rentals. So I want to kind of talk about like your yeah. um, Venice Beach industrial yeah. off, right? I mean, like that's a sexy yeah. property. And after you yeah. get into so many different like locations, why did you decide to start buying real estate in, in, in California per se? Yeah. Yeah. And people are like, Venice, you crazy? <laughs> I mean, I, Venice, you know, to be honest with you, has a real special place in my heart. I've been in LA for 12 years. I, LA as a whole, maybe not my most favorite city in general. Venice is its own own little thing to me. It's got a lot of flavor in LA, and it, and it's kept its flavor throughout. You know, LA being LA, and that's why I've always loved it. It's got this kind of homey feel, and it hasn't changed as much as a lot of places tend to just change based on what's happening around them. And so I sort of resonate, and I believe a lot in Venice long term. Um, and so, you know, and, and Jeremy, frankly, you know, he didn't really, his experience in Los Angeles was every different place, but Venice. And then we got at that office there and he fell in love with it. Now he's a Venice believer. And <laughs> he was funny. He was just telling me the other day about that. He's like, man, I'm so nice being back to Venice. Like you got me, like, I love it here kind of thing. And honestly, investing in Venice, part of the reason, uh, initially it's not a cheap place to invest in, but you know, part of the reason why we did that too is is not only do we know, yes, it's going to have good ROI. I don't think even in a recession, with, you know, people will go there and they will spend money and they will visit Venice. Venice will always have that that fame to it. So I think it's safe if you can invest in Venice if you have the financial capital too. But also, yeah, you know, sort of going back on what I just mentioned, it doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of people from all over the place. Like they go from the tech industry or coming in and buying stuff and stuff like that. And so I'm not calling myself knight in shining armor, but it feels nice to sort of own a piece of of Venice and 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 I'll lead into this next story. You saw the one that we have listed right now. That is a sexy industrial loft on the beach. It's great, but we were working on another house, a compound that we bought that the owner, um, she's been in Venice for a very long time and she doesn't even need the house. No one was living in it. It used to be a peace compound, um, co- colored like red and yellow and real funky colors and got rocks from all over the world in the back and has a real good aura when you walk inside. And she didn't want to sell it. She didn't need to sell it, but we connected. And she's like, you know, I feel comfortable selling it to you guys. Like you're not some corporate honchos. You're coming in, you're going to bulldoze the house. And right now we're doing a renovation on it, but we're keeping the integrity of the building and the Venice feel of the actual building. And that should be done sometime in January. It's a huge overhaul. Um, But that really resonates a lot into what I was mentioning because that was built in the early 1900s and it's got such a good Venice feel to it. And not saying anyone who buys that is going to bulldoze it and make some crazy, you know, modern house, mm. but it felt cool knowing that we are not going to take up that patio that's got those rocks that she's collected from around the world. We're not going to 
destroy the roof on the back that's got this old Venice architecture. Like we're keeping the integrity and the Venice feel of that building and then modernizing it and making it comfortable. And that's our first project together, Jim and I on the real estate side. It's still ongoing. And so that kind of stuff, I really fell in love with that kind of ability of that. It just felt really good to know that, you know, we can have a part of this, but we're also keeping the integrity of the city that's got so much history and not just coming in and, you know, taking it over and just to make, just to be a profiteer, just profiteering kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think the key word in, in, in that statement was integrity and, and, and I, I, I'm hearing you and I'm listening to you like very like deeply. Right. So with that, like with your integrity for business, and that's something that, that you practice and you preach all day, every day, is that something that, that came from like your, your mom? I mean, you, you told us that your mom grew up in Greece. Is that something that she brought to you or was it your dad? Were any of them entrepreneurs in the early days? Yeah. Oh uh, no, she she didn't grow up in Greece. She she lived there for six months. She's okay. my mom was from a very very small town in Minnesota, um, and yeah, I I'd say it came from my my mom for sure. She is such a sweetheart. You know, raised me very independently. I have two older sisters. Um, I got raised in a family of women um, older than me that have you know extremely great ethics, great hearts, always do good for people. Um, like I said before, my sister was helping eradicate polio in Pakistan, sex trafficking in Sri Lanka. Like my other sister lived in New Orleans. She was there during Katrina, never left. You know, she actually, ironically, she actually just moved literally two weeks ago to Seattle because my brother-in-law got a new job, but she was, she's been there for 15 years or whatever. And she taught Spanish in high school there. And, and at the end of the day, you know, I got, I was surrounded by women that had extreme morals great integrity and a very giving people. And that's really shaped how I approach things. Um, not only my business, personal life and everything like that. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd say mom and two sisters for sure. Cool. Cool. So, I mean, I think you, you made a hell of a segue talking about personal life. So I, I want you to kind of talk about the, the story of the buster boy and how do you kind of juggle and manage your day to day, but at the same time, have enough time for buster. Oh man, I miss him so much. Uh, Buster, I was uh, just a quick story of how Buster and I became best buds. Um, uh, there's a company called Angel City Pits in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. They take pit bulls off the street, out of shelters, um, and you can foster. And so I fostered two separate dogs for two weeks, you know, four years ago. And then I did my European trip, came back, and they had Buster. I had Buster for a couple weeks, and then the volunteer came. That morning and said we're bringing him to the adoption event i was walking up the street in the morning after i gave him to her and i was like "Shit, damn i shouldn't have let him go so i called them they're like it's too late but if he doesn't get adopted at three then yeah we'll bring him back to you but you're gonna have to adopt them and that's all she wrote right there mm -hmm. uh buster's the coolest dog ever he's very very unique doesn't bark he's the sweetest thing in the world um he's just the biggest biggest lovable sweetheart ever and he also knows that I travel <laughs> and when people meet him, they want to know when I'm going away next. They want to watch him. They love him. He's really that easy to watch and he's really that awesome. And so when I go away for these periods of time, which is, this is close to the longest I've gone without him, which is almost three months. Um, you know, Jeremy, Jeremy loves him too. So Jeremy will watch him when he's back in LA for a couple of weeks. We got his aunt Alexis will watch him. Um, and then, yeah, fortunately, like where, where I'm at right now, I also can afford to put him in um, sort of this dog hotel that they've got in Santa Monica that 
Um, King Bus likes a lot as well. They, they, they like him there too. And so he's got a little bit of everything. Um, I do miss him. I know this is Nate. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, it hasn't changed my travel life having Buster. I'm so happy to have him. And I think he always knows I'm coming back kind of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is a long period of time. But he does know, like I said, every summer it's been happening. I've had him for four years now. And every summer's been the same thing. So he knows I'm coming home. It's just <laughs> when you get around the third month, it's a little tough. You know, yeah. Like shit, where's my boy? <laughs> yeah, I can totally see. I mean, it, it, it was funny. I mean, Buster had, for the listener, Buster has his own Instagram page, and I would say, be, being that you're an ecom, you you had a tagline for him. It was like, um, born in the streets, raised on the beach. I'm like, dude, you got to make a shirt <laughs> and start selling that shit. Like, I got to see that <laughs> at the storefront somewhere because I can see people buying it. Like, I mean, it just makes sense. You have like a whole brand with just t-shirts for dogs. So yeah. it was definitely crazy. Yeah. So just 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 switch it up a little bit. Um, obviously, I, I think you're very versed in what you do. You, you've been doing it long enough to where your hands have been in, in the grind. Um, on your early days, if you could make a recommendation for like books that helped you to kind of get you to where you are, what would those books be? Ah, that's a good question. I, to be honest with you, a lot of a lot of the books, you know, things that are business oriented, like for example. You know, me reading about, and this is something that's ironic, and then we'll, we'll go back to the healthcare side of things. I, when I read, a lot of the times I, I like to read about certain things involving healthcare and food. And I don't know how that specifically helps, like Genius Foods by Max Lugavere. I'm actually rereading that right now. Aubrey Marcus has a great book, um, Own the Day, Own Your Life. I think that's probably the closest book that resonated that I read in 2017 when he first released that, that incorporates business, food, sex, life, everything into one. And I like authors and people that don't push agendas on people that really just speak on sort of facts that are there. And then they're open about what their thoughts are on something, but don't try to push an agenda, which I think is very, very important. I think I'm a good, good judge of character when I see that. Um, I'll find a lot of new authors through podcasts, right? Um, but I think the first thing that really came to mind, and, and, and that's, again, that's, that was, I guess, five years ago that book came out. So that was, you know, a few years before we started this company. It was really that Aubrey Marcus book. I read it back to back two times in a row, Own the Day, Own Your Life. Um, and that's, there, there's something about that book. There's, there's a lot of stuff that in that book that you can learn about just certain day-to-day te- techniques and just things that, that he does in the morning and he talks about why he does those things, but doesn't say you have to do that, right? And one thing I'll always take to heart, I've been doing ever since, and I didn't know this beforehand, is, you know, you lose, uh, you, you know, everyone knows about starting your day off. If you start off on a good foot, you're going to have a, you'll probably be more productive in the morning. You'll end up being more productive overall in your day. You'll, you'll release better energy to people around you, and overall your day will probably end up being better. Um, we always, no matter what, we wake up dehydrated as humans. You lose about a pound of water just breathing overnight. When you when you wake up, whether you're thirsty or not, you're dehydrated. And so some of the first things you should do when you wake up, and I'm not saying everyone's have a business routine to get your day started or any of that kind of stuff. Some people preach that. It's up to you, you know. So you can just go right roll right into it. Everyone has their own thing in the morning, right? But something that's always resonated with me since then, I've been done always since I will make sure I am drinking 16 ounces of water. If I can put some lemon and a sprinkle of salt in that for some some mineral content. I do that first thing in the morning and it makes a huge difference. And I might do 10 push-ups. I might do a couple yoga poses, something to get the blood flowing. And if I can, 
one of the greatest things, and I know you don't always have access to this, but put your bare feet on bare ground within the first 20 minutes of waking up. You will feel the difference in your morning. Wow. I, it sounds crazy and hippie, but there is stuff and energy. There's ions that come from the ground. If you put your bare feet on bare grass, you can do it, even dirt. You know, it's not easy to do that in LA. I don't really have that in Los Angeles, so I don't do it in Los Angeles. I have a you know a lot of grass right over here. I've been doing it every morning since I've been here as much as I can here. Um, so I can't preach all of that because I don't do it every single day. The water I definitely do, um, and it actually really just has changed my mornings in general. <laughs> it's such a small thing, but that's something I learned from that book. And you know, things have domino effects in your life. You know, I I, I gained a lot a lot of better habits. You know, since then, and I, I've been more knowledgeable about certain things that I do, and, and yeah, so. I think it's very, very cool. I mean, it's, it's, I wouldn't even say it's hippie. I mean, the fact that you brought up just touching the common ground in the morning to be grounded and talking about like your mindset and everything else that we were talking about. I mean, it just makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, I mean, like with that, I mean, obviously you have so many different life experiences. You've traveled the world. Like I said earlier, you gave up prom to travel South America, I mean, Central America, which is just crazy. Then have you written a book as of yet? No. And, and, I will say that, so my mom's a writer, my mom's a published writer, mm. poet. Um, she's always used to give me, ever since I've been traveling, buying me journals, well, you need to write, you need to write, you need to write down your experiences. I wish I listened to her more. Um, but as of recently, I've actually been doing that more. And when I, when I think about stuff that comes up that happened, could have been three, four years ago, because a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff it's all up in here, right? But you forget about things until something relevant in conversation comes up and then it reminds you. Um, and so when that happens, I'm, I'm doing my best to record things now. I think eventually it could be 10 years from now, it could be next year. I'd like to write something. Um, but yeah, as of right now, hands are too tight, too busy, too busy with the San Diego and a lot of stuff that we're doing. And the focus is on making sure that we are figuring out the kinks that we have in our hose and we're straightening those out. And we're making sure that you know, we keep pushing forward as a company and, and keep doing the right thing. So when the, when the, you know, when the sky opens up and I have time, I'll, I'll be thinking about those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a flip side of things, right? I mean, obviously someone comes to you and they're talking about, uh, I need to start something. I want to buy a product. And you're saying that you have a system in place and by putting this system in, you're going to get them the results. Book writing is essentially the same thing. I mean, right now you may not know what these systems are, but I think once you dive into it and you're a systems yeah. guy, you'd be spitting out books left and right. So, I mean, it just, I, right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't quit on that as of yet if I was you, man, for sure. Yeah. No, I appreciate that advice. I, you know, it's funny. I, I honestly, I, that got brought up in my own mind a couple of weeks ago. I was just thinking about, like, I should, like, not because I go, I've got all these experiences I need to be writing about, but like, I should just start jotting stuff down more in general. And that can, you know, and again, I just mentioned that story about my mom. It's, it's true. And even if it's a little scrabble, scrabble notes, something on your phone, just writing too is just such, it is a therapeutic thing that I've been missing out on for a while. Mm -hmm. you know, just in the last six months, I just started to write a little bit here and there. You know, I, I wish I was doing it earlier, but there's no wish I wish this, wish that. Doing it now to mm -hmm. the point where it does make a difference. And I, I, I'm happy that I've, I've adopted it more and I hope to adopt it more. Nice. Yeah, for myself, it's podcasting. I mean, it gives me opportunity to record these conversations and document these things. So like, you know, I would say this is more so like a legacy building thing and writing is the yeah. same exact thing. It's like, what, what was the, the, the founder of the company's thoughts? Well, 
and yeah. until you tell them or write it down, no one will ever be in your head. So kind of getting yeah. it out and leaving it for the next generation is just only makes sense. So hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. So let's just talk about for a second here, right? I mean, obviously you're you're a tech company. So what tool that you use on a day-to-day basis that you would not be able to do what you're doing so effectively without having access to those platforms? Uh well our, our main central software that we use is ClickUp. So ClickUp is not only a communication platform for clients and management teams, but it also has all the analytics of a client's business for them. So they essentially will have how their store is performing, what inventory is getting bought, where it's at in the warehouse, mm-hmm. pretty much a, you know, a full view of everything that's going on with an internal channel. That, that is like the basis of our of what goes on in Ascend in terms of client management and business management. Uh-huh. Um, and then in terms of softwares for sourcing products, I mean, I don't even, to be honest with you, we've got, there's a laundry list because there's always, no software is perfect for data scraping. And so we make sure that we are checking the boxes on all of them uh-huh. and where there's errors in some, there's not in others. And then we do manual scrubbing for products as well. Wow. And so there's there's just a, a, a shitload. We even have boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned this on a different podcast as well. We, when I say that, I mean literally we have employees that go to liquidation centers in the Dallas Fort Worth area and source products that you cannot even buy online mm-hmm. to sell on our client stores because that's something that no one else is doing. Um, and they've got they've got like seventy percent margins on them, wow. even if it's just like five k worth of product and seventy percent margin. You split that on a few clients. Boom. And we just keep doing that. And that's what I'm trying to say is we don't spin the same wheel that we were doing the month before. We're always trying to innovate. We're always trying to mitigate risk by using diverse. We diversify within our tools, you know, and that's important. And it's important to always keep looking about what is out there next. What is the next tool out there? What else can we use? What, what are we not using now? What, what should we test out? And we have internal stores too, that we, we are not testing out strategies on client stores. We test them out on our stores, mm. prove them, then apply them to a client store. We're not going to play with someone's money, you know, if we don't know that it works. So we make sure that it works on ours first. That's a huge thing that we do. And it's very, very important because I want to note that again, like there's always R&D, right? There's always innovation. There's always testing stuff out. And if you're testing it on your client store, I don't think that's right because you don't know if it's going to work. They're paying for something that's, that we've proven to the extent that we know nothing's perfect, but that we've proven, right. They're not paying for us to test out certain things with their money. So we do that on our side. And when we see a certain success rate that we know is safe enough, then we apply those principles, that strategy, et cetera, to the client store. So, I mean, I think you brought up a really solid point about, about liquidation. So it kind of leads me to like another question. All right. And those that don't know what liquidation is, usually liquidations are like, um, products that are discontinued products that are essentially returned back to vendor or some companies closing out and they're liquidating everything. So if you're having the, these assets, right. And they're liquidated assets, the, the quantity should be pretty limited. So if you're talking about putting this on Amazon, let's say that one of those products becomes a top seller and it gets to the top box. But once that product runs out, like what's the next That's step? That. That's that. Yeah. So we, yeah. So these are, these are all essentially the liquidated items are just augmented accelerators. And I just pulled that term out of my ass, but it's essentially what it is. So we will, 
we essentially will have <laughs> that's <laughs> it is what it is you know we we have we have products that we know we'll have stock of that are going to be but we can accelerate a store when we find something or stores mm-hmm. and we don't do favoritism here you know there's a there's a line based on how long you've been with us and once the last time you got a liquidated product essentially it's all fair in terms of who's getting what but yeah it might be 8k of one product client sells through they make three grand on it boom that's it that's a quick it's a quick little you know acceleration that's augmenting what's currently going on mm-hmm. the rest of the business model is still, is still running mm-hmm. but why would we want to lose out on a 70 percent margin liquidated item when we can find it you know so we are going to use those when we and we let clients know that you're going to see a big you know a big boom in your sales real quick with high margins because we found this and this is you know etc mm-hmm. you know whether it's a vacuum dyson vacuums or the sono speakers or some kind of brand name stuff from some center that's getting rid of it. And so <laughs> well, hopefully that's really clarifies it. Yeah, yeah. And I think the algorithm is going to love you for that as well, too. I mean, you have those peaks and valleys. The algorithm is going to start, hey, look at the other products from the same exact vendor. And then all of a sudden your store becomes a top selling store overnight. So that's a hell of a growth strategy. You're, you're right, man. And it's huge. You just touched on that. There is no one can prove what the exact algorithm is for Amazon. And that's what we can't tell exactly when every client's store is going to hit their stride. Some clients randomly will hit month three. Mm. Boom. Holy shit. They had a five grade week. Some will be month eight. Like there is a patience factor in this, right? We, we like to set expectations on a promise over deliver, but we cannot tell you that on month five is exactly when your store is going to hit that point where it's boom, it's moving. You know, this is a real business and Amazon picks and chooses with their AI on certain things. And we try to learn it as much as we can, but no one knows Amazon's AI like Amazon knows their AI. You know what I mean? So they're not writing and not letting you know what's doing what. Mm-hmm. We could just use the testing model and we, we could predict. And, you know, we have a range, you know, it's between three and eight months is when a store hits that point where it's like, oh, Holy shit, every day is, is consistent. Hmm. You know, now it's moving. Amazon's favoring us. You've got X amount of reviews now, whatever. But I just wanted to, to touch on that again. This is an important thing investing with us because we don't make these false promises of like, by month three, you're going to make 10 grand. You know, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Hmm. And that stride will come where you get a lot of traction and your, your store is booming. But you have to invest in it and know how to invest and, and let us do our job and and you know, we have a guarantee on our on your investment for a reason we will make it work we just can't tell you the exact time of when it's going to hit that point so just just talk just talk to the people that are making these investments and earlier on you talking about you have teachers you have ex blue collar white collar you have investment firms if they're listening right and they should be listening right now what words of wisdom would you like to leave them with to kind of help them continue on their fulfillment journeys yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, you know, you can't paint everyone's background with the same brush. Um, but a huge thing about, you know, a huge thing about being successful in this business specifically is, and I, and I don't, I'm not sure if this is words of wisdom, but it's a tip on a lot of this. Cause we have some investors that have very, very deep pockets that have came to us and they just got a lot of liquid cash and their credit's horrible. Um, <laughs> credit, business credit, Outside of just setting e-com is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, and personal, it all starts with personal credit. There are programs out there that people will pay to grow your business credit and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, what's so important about it is that 
you, this model aligns so well with if you make sure your personal credit is good hmm. first, right? And this model aligns so well with building out your business credit and building out business credit capabilities where then you can invest in other opportunities outside of this. And there's more to it than just this investment, right? If you want to be, if this might be your first entrepreneurial journey, it might be something else, but a lot of it, especially in the United States, is going to revolve around your personal credit. You're going to want to have good personal credit, you know, and it's always good to leverage the bank's money. And a lot of these savvy investors might already probably know that, right? But these credit card companies take advantage of us. They've been taking advantage of consumers for 40, 50 years, whatever. We know how to do the opposite. <laughs> we, you know, at Ascend and with our clients and how this business model works, you can leverage bank's money at 0% and you can get a lot of benefits. Yeah, I'm traveling right now. I didn't pay to stay at this hotel I'm staying at in Italy. It's all on Amex points. You know, there's, and my business cards don't report to my personal credit. So just quick tip on all this. And I think this is a very important thing because it's overlooked so many times. Don't forget, especially for people who are younger or, or, or not as savvy in terms of investing, focus on your personal credit before you start making big investments because you're going to want to be able to get that first business card when things start booming or even prior to that and to be able to leverage that bank's money and to really accelerate things and compound once you start to see your first initial success. Because otherwise, you're going to hit a dead end if your credit's low, if your credit's crappy. So. Yeah, I think you bring up a hell of a point. And, and to your point, I think I, I saw you talking about this on another podcast as well. And I think anyone that is in business, if you don't understand what he's trying to say, it's leveraging credit cards to pay for the lifestyles that you want. I mean, there's rewards for hotels, there's rewards for airlines. So think about it. If I'm buying products, let's say if I have to buy $10,000 worth of product every month to, to do my Amazon fulfillment, why would I not put that on my credit card to get those points? And then those points turn into sky miles or turn into awards for hotel. Yeah. So I'm not paying for any of those things. So I'm like triple and double dipping. And I think you, you may have made a really smart comment on that episode. It was like, um, well, you could afford to pay for these things now, but now that you have more money, you're paying less. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, it's, you learn how to, leverage the more money you get the more money you could leverage on the bank side less money you're spending of your own right like i never carry cash with me and it's different when you're abroad because you want to have cash to be safe <laughs> get in a taxi sometimes yeah. but my point is it's like always use the bank's money and always and, you know find ways to leverage that credit hmm. in investments and in just ways and it doesn't always have to be travel rewards I mean, shit, you can just get cash back that's free money it's free money for groceries it's free money for whatever you know that extra bill I mean, that's there. And this model, you know, you might not be getting that crazy, those crazy amounts in the beginning, but once a store is leveraged to a certain degree and it's, or it's accelerated to a certain degree, let's say year two, and it's really moving. I mean, you're, you're turning over four or five figures constantly every month. You're not digging yourself in credit card debt. You know, we have a stigma about credit card debt. If you do it the right, be careful, but if you do it the right way, a lot of benefits, and then it can also build out your business credit in general help you with business loans, lines of credit down the line, real estate ventures. I mean, shit, it's a whole other podcast to have, but <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, how, how does someone get in contact with you? What, what website you want to send them to? What social media outlets? Yeah, 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 absolutely. We actually are about to launch our new website. Um, I think tomorrow. Um, so we're giving it, we get a great new face of more information on it, but it's www.ascendecom.com. That's A S C E N D E C O N.com. Um, our Instagram is at ascend, A-S-E-N-D underscore E-C-O-M. Um, you can book a call with us on, 
on our website. It's very consultation, educational driven. We're not really salesy. We just want to learn about your background and what's going on and see if there might be a reason to continue the conversation. And then, um, yeah, a lot of updates are constantly on our Instagram and our YouTube. Um, if you want to see what's going on, we post every day. And I mean, we talked about Buster. You forgot to give Buster his, his Instagram account. Oh, yeah. Hey, at Buster the Basta. So B U S T E R T H E Basta. B A S T A. Like my last name, at Buster the Basta. Give him a shout too. He's, he's the fucking greatest. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, I got uh, one bonus question for you. And it's, it's, a, it's one that I think for you, because you've been to so many different locations, there's no telling what you're going to say. But if you could spend yeah. 24 hours with anyone, this person could be dead or alive, uninterrupted for 24 hours, who would it be and why? Ooh. Oh, man, that is a... Wow, that's a question. 24 awesome. hours. Yeah. Uh, it sounds pretty crazy, but I, you know, honestly, the, the first person that came to mind was Louis Armstrong. <laughs> I was a trumpet player. When I was younger, um, that was my first real like person I was obsessed with. Hmm. Um, and the second you asked that question, my youth just came up. Um, and obviously, there's you know I can talk about the the athletes that I want to meet too. But that was the first name that came to mind. I, I I don't even know why, to be honest with you. I just think that that I don't play trumpet anymore, but I grew up in a very music oriented town called Woodstock. Um, it's a big music town. You've probably heard of it. And that was the first instrument I ever played. And my mom used to play, you know, she used to be like, hey, well, here's Miles Davis, here's Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong, sunny side of the street. I mean, shit, it'd just be cool to hang out with him and drink a beer, I think. <laughs> very cool, very cool. So going into closing, man, I, I, I love having yeah. these interviews and I love giving whoever I'm interviewing an opportunity to become a host of my podcast. So the Boston Cage podcast is now yours and you're interviewing me. Do you have any questions that you'd like to ask me? Yeah, how'd you how'd you get to where you're at with this podcasting? I mean, you you you're obviously you natural as hell when you do this. So, were you were you playing around with a microphone when you were like eight years old? <laughs> nope. Like literally, I had a stroke in 2018 and woke up in the hospital, and I was like, okay, well, I've been doing multimedia and graphic design and, and marketing for brand development for everyone for so long. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife, was like, okay, well, it's time for you to do something differently. Why don't you step in front of the limelight? And I was like, okay, either I'm going to become a YouTuber or a podcaster. And because I was a guy behind the curtain, I decided to pick podcasting, which obviously I do both now. But yeah. the rest was essentially history, man. Once I, I got into it, wow. it just started in 2020 and I fell in love with it. And just diving into the like the psyches and diving into like the history and doing yeah. the diligence and the research. It just, it, it, it's one of the reasons why I wake up every single day. For sure, man. I love that. Well, I gotta say, it's been super, super enjoyable chatting with you, man. Good flow and great questions. And, you know, I hope I can come back on and we can do a, a part, part two next year, 2023. Get some updates on where things are at on both sides. Well, I got a book club as well, too. So, you know, hint, hint about writing that book. So, you know, ah. we talk about that book journey as well in that club. So, hell yeah. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's stay in touch. Yeah, definitely, man. Well, I definitely appreciate you taking time out your schedule today. I mean, you're, you're like, what, six, seven hours ahead of us right now. So it's definitely nighttime. You're nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. It's, it's like 95 degrees and humid. I'm sweating through my shirt. Probably can see it. <laughs> It's hot. It's hot in the Mediterranean, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, hey, I think some people would, would love to be in your shoes too. So at the same yeah. time, yeah. I'm not complaining. Yeah, for sure.
For sure, absolutely. Well, I definitely appreciate you being here today, man. It was a solid episode. Man, it's been great. We'll, we'll chat soon. I, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Great. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncage. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762 762- 233 boss that's 762-233-2677 i would love to hear from you remember to become a boss in cage you have to release your inner beast sa grant signing off listeners of boss in cage are invited to download a free copy of our host sa grant's insightful ebook become an uncaged trailblazer Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.